Soros-funded DA Alvin Bragg is proving once again that he will weaponize his office for political gain. This is how the left moves, but the question is, how are we going to respond? Talk tough and then tail tuck or fight back with everything we've got? Well, if I know Jim Jordan, Bragg messed with the wrong patriot. The show starts now. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg is cracking down on dangerous criminals again. Just kidding. No, he's going after Republican political, political opponents, weaponizing the judicial system against his critics after being rightfully accused of weaponizing the judicial system against Donald Trump. Rich. Yep, now he's got his sights set on Congressman Jim Jordan suing him over Trump indictment subpoenas. So basically, because Jim Jordan is attempting to hold him accountable, Bragg is coming after him. Coming after Trump and now Jim Jordan as if those two are the biggest dangers to New York freaking city. Nobody is undermining his case against Trump because in order to undermine it, he'd have to have a case to begin with. Joining me now with his take on that and more is former Trump campaign operative Steve Cortez. Steve, it's great to have you. Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me. So I want to start out with this. When we heard the news of this yesterday, that now Bragg is coming after Jim Jordan for undermining this case against Trump. I mean, the whole situation with Bragg doesn't really hold much legal water. But could this be something, if anything, is this going to do anything to Jim Jordan or his attempts to hold Bragg accountable? No, I, I certainly hope not. And I think Jim Jordan is doing the right thing because this has become a federal issue. You know, normally prosecutorial misconduct like Bragg's should be a state issue. But in this case, because he is indicting a former U.S. president and because he is dragging federal election law into it, this is a pertinent and germane federal issue. So there is jurisdiction for the U.S. Congress. But regarding Bragg, look, here's the reality with New York City. New York is a basket case like so many blue major cities in America. It's becoming increasingly a place uh, that is totally inflicted with crime, where regular citizens are not safe. And Alvin Bragg has chosen to not prosecute very dangerous criminals and instead focuses uh, his uh, his prosecutorial attention on an incredibly politicized and contrived case against the former president, against Donald Trump. And here's why I think everybody should care about this, Tommy, because even if you're not a New Yorker, even if you live nowhere near New York, New York is the capital of the world. I mean, it really is. It is the cultural, financial, business, and media hub of the world. So what happens in New York really matters to the rest of America. And we, when we see what is really our de facto capital, when we see it descend into the kind of lawlessness that is now, uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the norm in New York City and other cities, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco, across America, where these Soros-backed prosecutors are such menaces to public safety, it's a very real issue for the entire country. And again, it matters not just to New Yorkers, not just to Trump supporters. I think it matters to all of America. Alvin Bragg has shown himself to be a corrupt and politicized buffoon. And at every opportunity Republicans have, including in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, they need to confront him about it. What do you think the chances are that Trump gets a fair trial in New York? Because yeah. we look at the case and it's weak. And legal experts on both sides of the aisle say it's a very weak case. This is a pretty big leap. I mean, he's facing 136 right. years. We look at that and we laugh. But mm -hmm. we also have to look at the situation in front of us and the place where this is going to really all play out. And 
I have a little bit of concern that not only is this whole thing weaponized against Trump with the indictment, but I have a little bit of a concern that this could actually hold some water because of the place it's being tried, and Trump could actually be facing real jail time. Do you think that's a possibility, as ridiculous as this whole thing is? Uh, Tommy, as ridiculous as it is, yes, unfortunately. You know, I, I concur with you. I believe that it is, it is nearly impossible for Trump in Manhattan to find a jury which is willing to really weigh the facts of the case and give him a fair trial. Uh, I just think that is the unfortunate reality right now. By the way, this is also why prosecutorial discretion is so important. Prosecutors, if they are being ethical and if they're uh, acting upon conscience and law and precedent, they know that they have tremendous power. And particularly when it comes to a politicized case like this in a place that is as left-leaning as Manhattan, um, they know that they are almost sure to get convictions against certain targets. And so it is incumbent upon prosecutors uh, then to exercise discretion and to use their judgment to not charge people frivolously. So let's say Let's just say Trump is actually guilty of the underlying crime, which is a very, very minor crime. And I'm not saying he is, but just for the sake of argument, let's say that the bookkeeping error uh, was, in fact, a misdemeanor violation of New York law. Even if that is true, okay, it is an incredibly minuscule crime. What Alvin Bragg has done is he's tried to ratchet it up to try. He's tried to transform it really through just you know legal nonsense into a felony. How? because he claims that it was committed to, to, uh, to hide, to obfuscate a larger federal crime. Well, if we look at that supposed federal crime, Tommy, the Department of Justice, the highly corrupt, politicized Biden Department of Justice took a look at this issue from a federal standpoint regarding federal election law and said, you know what, we're gonna take a pass. And believe me, it wasn't out of any love for Donald Trump. It wasn't because they were trying to be fair to the former president or because they have any regard for our America First movement. No, it's because they looked at the facts of the case and said, there is nothing here. This is clearly a personal issue that had nothing to do with presidential politics. It was not a violation of federal law or FEC standings. And so there was no federal prosecution brought. Uh, that should have ended that issue as a legal criminal, potential criminal issue. But instead, we have this incredibly corrupt, politicized New York prosecutor backed by George Soros, who literally ran for office on the promise that he would prosecute Donald Trump. And the fact that he was elected based on that promise, Tommy, that tells us everything we need to know about the electorate in Manhattan. You know, so look, can he get a fair trial there? No, I don't believe he can, uh, which is why this case can never go to trial, in my view. I'm not sure that it will. If there's an honest judge, Okay, and, and I don't have a lot of faith in this judge either that's presiding over the case. But if an honest judge takes a look at this case, this should absolutely be dismissed. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But sadly, uh, you know, to, to answer the root of your question, can he get a fair trial in New York? No, I do. I do not believe he can in Manhattan. I don't believe so either, but I wonder, because when we're looking at this from the prism of an election in 2024, we know that this indictment of Trump in his arraignment last week, has bolstered him within the Republican Party when it comes to polls and matchups. However, when you look at the broader picture, a new ABC News poll just came out earlier this week that said about 50% of Americans think that Trump should suspend his campaign because of the indictment, and they think right. that he did something wrong, although they, they recognize it's probably politically motivated. 
the average American doesn't really seem to care. They view it as serious. They view it as something that could potentially, at least by perception, eliminate him from the running. So I worry that we have these two things happening at once. The Republicans are rallying around him, but the independents that we so desperately need to win are going the other direction. So for me, my concern is that the Republican Party is not seeing the forest through the trees here, and they're letting their loyalty and their affinity for Trump cloud what could be the biggest election of our lifetime and the real right. need to win that one. What's your perspective on it? No, listen, I think you're making an incredibly important point here for hardcore Republicans, for people who are committed to the American First Movement, who consider themselves MAGA adherents. This indictment uh, has only reinforced their resolve and their commitment to Donald Trump and to the movement. But for regular Americans who, who don't necessarily, who aren't, uh, when I say regular Americans, I mean, people who aren't all that politically involved and particularly people who are independently minded politically. And that's a shrinking group, but it's a group that, that both sides are fighting viciously over uh, to try to earn the support of. When we look at independence, I do think this indictment is absolutely harming Donald Trump. And there's certainly evidence of that in the polls. And I would say this in addition, Tommy. If there is a second indictment and perhaps a third indictment, which I believe there will be, and I think all of them are nonsense. I think all of them mm -hmm. are, are farces. But if there is an indictment in Georgia, if there's a federal indictment regarding the documents at Mar-a-Lago, and I believe both of those are forthcoming. So if we then have three indictments of President Trump, and again, I think all of them are ridiculous, okay, and, and are persecution rather than a prosecution. But nonetheless, as a campaign operative, as somebody who does messaging for a living, uh, who does campaigns for a living, I will tell you, I firmly believe that successive indictments of Trump will absolutely hurt Trump, particularly among independent voters. There, there, there's a certain level of exhaustion where they will yep. just say, I can't sort of take the chaos of this situation. And that's and what I think it is. It will absolutely hurt him. I think you're exactly right because a lot of people are getting fatigue of this and it's not his fault. And I wish I could say, you know, screw everybody. We're standing by our man. But this is no ordinary election coming up in 2024. And I'm very concerned that people are sick of the drama. And even Republicans, if they're being honest with themselves, are a little sick of the drama because our country is going to hell. If this was the most important thing right now was just defending Trump and everything else was great, then maybe this might be the one and only cause we could vote on. But it's not. A lot of other issues. Right. That brings me to my last point I want to bring up with you. We know we had the big Trump-Tucker interview on Fox News last night. I want to play a clip of Trump talking about his potential opponent in 2024. Let's take a listen. Do you think Biden will stay in the race? Look, uh, I, I watch him just like you do. And I think it's almost inappropriate for me to say it. I don't see how it's possible. But there's something wrong. I saw his answer today on television about whether or not he was going to run to a very nice guy named Al Roker. I mean, you can't get a softer question than that. That was a long answer of talking about the eggs and the this and that. Look, I don't think he can. So I want to get your take on that. I think most of Americans would agree. The Democrats don't even want Joe to run. I believe that they're getting ready for Gavin Newsom to fill that spot. But I wonder how you mm -hmm. think this is going to go. How long are they going to wait to dump Joe Biden if you believe that that's what they're going to do? I certainly do. Right.
Yeah. Well, listen, Gavin Newsom is certainly acting like he's running for president. Uh, he actually has the gall right now to do a tour of successful red states, including Florida, home of the best governor in America, Ron DeSantis, the, the polar opposite of Gavin Newsom in California. And he's actually going there trying to lecture Florida about what they should do better. Of course, Californians are voting with their feet and leaving the state of California and the kingdom of King Gavin Newsom in mass. But, you know, to, to the point here that President Trump was making uh, and that you're making, uh, Joe Biden clearly, cognitively, is not able to be president right now. Uh, and by the way, that's not his fault, okay? So there's a, there's a lot of things which I will fiercely criticize uh, Joe Biden about. It is not his fault that he is at, a, at an age and a, and a state of health where he's not able to do this job. But that's already clear. It is likely to get far, far worse in the coming months and years. Anybody who's been around an old person who is having those kinds of issues knows that. So this is a very real issue for the American people to consider. Um, I think it would have been much more considered in 2020 had Joe Biden actually campaigned. Uh, but because the Democrats chose to hide him effectively and the corporate media completely went along with that charade of hiding Joe Biden, the American people didn't have a, a, an honest look at what what kind of a mental and physical state he was in. Now they do. And so this is absolutely you know a huge issue for 2024. Uh, my belief ultimately is, is that Gavin Newsom does end up being the nominee. How exactly do we get there? I'm not sure. Um, but by the way, if he is, be very, very happy to take him on. Be very happy to take on the tyranny that he has inflicted upon the people of California. We do not want the California model for the rest of the country. So whether it's Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom, I think it will be one of the two is my is my strong guess. Uh, be happy to take on either one in the in the presidential race. I think if it is Gavin Newsom, it'll be more of a fair fight. And it's one that I look forward to because you're not able to hide Joe Biden. You're not going to be able to hide Gavin Newsom because there's no reason to. And he doesn't want to be hidden. So I think that it would be a real matchup. I'm going to get to that later with my thoughts on it and my final thoughts. But Steve, thanks for being here in this crazy time in American politics. I hope to have you back soon. And thanks for joining me. You bet. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. Still ahead, he's dedicated his life to pulling back the curtain on the trans movement and the dangers of the Rainbow Mafia. Ollie London joins me next, and you don't want to miss this. You know, up until a couple of years ago, it was dang hard to be an average white man in America. I mean, they literally had no place on the oppression totem pole. But then the trans craze entered the picture, and some savvy white men discovered all they had to do to elevate and protect themselves was put on a dress, change a name, and identify as a woman. Pretty ingenious when you think about it. And now, well, they've really hit their stride. The examples are becoming limitless, but here's one of the many. Here are two ballerinas. The one on the left is a woman, and the one on the right is a biological male. Guess which one got a place at the prestigious Royal Academy of Dance? Hmm. Joining me now with more is author of Gender Madness, Ollie London. Ollie, it's great to have you. I follow you on Twitter, and you're always exposing this, so I'm so happy that you get to join me today. It's such a pleasure, and same to you. You're always exposing this and sticking up for women, so thank you. So you have to tell me how you personally got to this place where writing about gender madness and ideology and exposing it has become so important to you because you're really on the forefront of this. And I want my audience to know how you got there. Right. So I, like many young people of this generation, struggled with my identity, um, which all really stemmed from my childhood and teenage years. So I was always more feminine than all of the boys in my school. Um, I used to get told that I was more like a girl or I had breasts or I was a woman. And, you know, I used to get teased heavily for the way I look. So that really 
um, made me hate the way I looked and hate the way I identified. So when I became an adult, I decided to embark on this kind of crazy plastic surgery journey to try and erase the person that I was just to try and uh, prove these bullies wrong. And, you know, over time I had multiple surgeries and it kind of became an addiction with body dysmorphia, which then morphed into gender dysphoria. Um, and then I eventually was told by so many people, even TikTok was showing me videos constantly of people becoming trans. And, you know, I was being told by everyone around me, you are trans, you need to be a woman. You're not a, a real boy. You know, you should be happy like that. So, you know, I kind of fell for the indoctrination. And then I um, had facial feminization surgery and was trans, um, you know, going out in public in dresses and uh, going to red carpets and cans in, in dresses as well. So then you decided that that wasn't for you. You started realizing that you needed to be comfortable in your own skin. And so then you began the process of going back and just loving yourself. Do I have that correct? Yes, correct. So I got to a point where I was on this extreme path, an extreme journey, and I was being encouraged, Tommy. You know, I had people giving me positive validation on social media, on TikTok, telling me I was doing the right thing. But you know, I got to a point where my family were very upset with me, my friends, um, and it was, you know, a now or never moment. I could continue down this very destructive path or I could um, reverse what I'd done and try to live as myself again. And, you know, that was a, a fantastic decision. And then, you know, I realized what was going on with this gender ideology and how I'd been indoctrinated. So now I want to speak up for these kids that are being confused and told they're the wrong gender. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've talked to a, a couple of people that have a similar story as yours, and they're very similar in that it stems from a childhood of feeling like you don't fit in. And then comes in this gender madness, as you titled it, and then people want to find a place to fit in, and if they are part of this trans community, suddenly they automatically fit in. And that brings us to somebody like a Dylan Mulvaney, all right? So when I look at this, obviously the conservatives are really upset with what Dylan Mulvaney has been able to do, run really roughshod over everything that used to be for women. And I agree with that. I'm, I'm equally as enraged. But I wonder, in your perspective, Ollie, when Dylan Mulvaney goes home at night and he's just alone by himself... Do you think that he maybe feels a little differently than the character he portrays to get all these endorsement deals and all the celebrity status? Yeah, so absolutely. It's definitely a character he's playing because we've seen that he started out as an actor who's on The Price is Right and Ellen, and he was trying to make it in Hollywood. He was trying to make a name for himself. So, you know, he started with this parody um, and comedy account where he was caricaturing women, um, which has actually become very disrespectful. But, you know, I can imagine at night... He's probably busy, you know, enjoying his new fame and money. But really, that doesn't make you happy, Tommy. When you're doing something that's hurting other people, it's never going to fulfill you. So I hope, you know, he will wake up one day, realize the harm he is doing and, you know, reverse that. Because so many women, deserving women, should have been the ambassador for the Nike sports bars or for, you know, for Bud Light. Um, so, you know, I think it's offensive what he's doing. And I hope one day he wakes up and realizes the detrimental harm he is causing. And I wonder, too, you know, the traditional feminists, I talk about this a lot, but feminists up until maybe five years ago were all about women's rights and elevating women. The Oscars didn't have enough women in it. Movies didn't have enough women in leading roles. It was all about elevating women. And now it's like they've completely reversed course. And now it's actual women are to be downgraded and trans women or trans men or transgenders in general 
are to be elevated. So it's weird to me that we've reached this place. Do you think that there is going to be a time when the pendulum swings too far and then swings back and the feminists realize what they've done to actual women? I mean, the pendulum is already turning and swinging back because, you know, we're seeing day by day women being attacked. Look at what happened to Riley Gaines at San Francisco State University. She was violently attacked and held hostage because she was speaking up for women's rights. You know, this is the world we live in. We see it day in, day out, women being attacked, women being assaulted. So, you know, this needs to stop now. And there's a lot of people speaking up. You know, I know you've been amazing at speaking up. And um, there are so many women now, they've reached breaking point, Tommy, because when you're trying to redefine the definition of women, when you're allowing biological men into women's spaces, and, you know, most of these sports competitions, the men actually win. Leah Thomas wins, you know, because they have more muscular strength. So, you know, women are finally fighting back now, but it's the duty of all of us to speak up for women because their rights are being taken away before our very eyes. I also want to speak to the victimhood complex of this all, and I think that you can speak to it far better than I can. But to me, I do think that the transgender community is being victimized, but not by conservatives and by Christians, but by Big Pharma and this rainbow mafia that is confused so much of this community and has really victimized this community for their own gain and for their own stature in the world. And I wonder if there's going to be a point where the members of this LGBTQ community realize what's being done to them and that they're actually being victimized by the people that they believe are their cheerleaders. Do you think that we're going to reach that point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've started to see a lot of young teenagers detransition and bravely share their story. Um, so we've got Chloe Cole, we've got Prisha Mosley, um, and Layla Jane. You know, it takes so much courage to do that because not only have they been through so many difficult things and traumas, they are now reliving that trauma by talking about it and, you know, getting attacked. And, um, you know, they're the real victims. You know, these kids that are being transitioned, they are real victims. And some of them don't realize it at the time. They think it's a dream and they think anyone that is against children having these uh, surgeries and hormones is a bigot or transphobic and you know, uh, trans activists often like to use the phrase transgenocide there's no such thing as a transgenocide you know these uh trans activist groups are their own worst enemy nobody really had a problem with trans people 10 years ago you know you have people like buck angel caitlin jenner nobody had an issue it's suddenly when they started pushing to erase women and doing this to children that's when really people took issue so we're seeing a pushback now we're seeing a lot of people detransition. Um, but we need to elevate all the voices of these teens going through this and, you know, help them navigate that because these clinics abandon them. Once they've transitioned these kids, they don't care about them anymore. They don't check up on their hormone therapy, which, you know, many of them are on for many, many years, if not their life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's our duty to give these people a platform. What are your thoughts when you see the many, many videos of parents talking about their how their young child realize they were trans and they have a new gender reveal and they're so proud of themselves for encouraging this expression of their trans child, which these children are often between five and 10 years old, quite frankly. I mean, this stuff is all over social media. When you see that from your perspective, what do you think is going on in the minds of these parents? What is their motivation for this? Is it acceptance? Is it evil? Is it somewhere in between? What do you think? Well, to be honest, you know, most of the people that are trans, it's actually a white middle class problem. It's kind of people that have too much, you know, they're privileged already. Um, you know, they want their kids to be special. They want their kids to stand out in class. And, you know, some parents might have wanted a boy and they actually had a girl. 
So that could be a thing as well. But no child has a concept of their gender identity. No child thinks, you know, they can be transgender. You know, that's put into their mind by parents. And, you know, there's a very famous case with Jazz Jennings, the reality star. Mm -hmm. You know, we followed um, his journey since he was a kid. And the mum pressuring him and telling him he's a boy. You know, now we're seeing that he's very depressed. He has, you know... Uh, weight issues he has health issues um so a lot of these parents you know they may have wanted the other gender or they might be doing it because you know it's cool right now it's a trend there might be other parents that are doing this to their kids but you know we shouldn't be doing that to kids let kids be kids let them discover themselves for themselves without having this um external pressure from parents and also teachers teachers that are telling kids to change their gender as well well, I got to tell you, Ollie, I actually did an interview with Jazz Jennings for the reality show that that family concocted. And I did my interview with Jazz right before the final transition surgeries. And I sat down with him, her, I don't know how he identifies now, but I sat down with Jazz and had an honest discussion about this. And this is before this stuff was so mainstream, right? And I was demonized at that point for just having a conversation. I was being called transphobic, this, that, and the other, when I really just sat down wanting some understanding because it was so foreign to me. It's something that I had never really heard of before. And now to find out the way Jazz is feeling now, quite frankly, it breaks my heart because I sat there while that process was going on. And I believe that Jazz was being exploited by the family for fame and a reality show. You're right. It's quite frankly disgusting. I want to go to your book, Gender Madness. I mean, it's pretty obvious what we're going to learn about, but what can you tell my audience about what they might not be expecting to learn in your book, Gender Madness? Available August 1st, by the way. Thank you, Tommy. Um, so yeah, a lot of people don't know how this happened because it's a very recent phenomenon with all of these kids transitioning, with you know kids being on hormones, with all of these pediatric clinics opening. So my book is actually detailing how this all started, how the transgenderism movement started, the history of being trans. Um, you know, there were examples in the 1920s in Germany they performed um, uh, breast surgeries on on men. So, you know, that's when it really started. So I delved deeper into that, how it came about and how we have things like TikTok, uh, Instagram that push this on the algorithm and how, you know, schools are bringing drag queens into the schools. They're teaching about pronoun and genders. So I'm talking about how this came about, what's going on state by state, what states have different laws. You know, I talk about California being a sanctuary um, state. So, you know, some of the parents have no power over if their kid transitions in California, which is heartbreaking for any parent. Um, I talk about how social services in Washington state try to take kids away from their parents. And, you know, I also talk about how we can change this. We're seeing, finally, we're seeing a turning tide. We're seeing various states, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, banning gender affirming care. So we're finally seeing some change. But, you know, I talk about how people can look out for the signs of their kids being indoctrinated, how we can protect them and how, as a society, we can come together to find a solution that ha makes everyone happy. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I will continue to be a follower of yours and your book and everything that you've done. Your message is so important, and it resonates so deeply, I think, with more people than you even understand. So thanks for spending the time today. Congratulations on the book, and I will definitely be a reader when it comes out in August. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. Coming up, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Gavin Newsom will run in 2024, and as a California refugee myself, there are some things you got to know. My final thoughts are next. 
in case you've been living under a rock, let me help you out. Gavin Newsom is most definitely getting ready to run for president. You think Joe is bad? You haven't seen anything yet. It's time for Final Thoughts. For months now, Gavin Newsom has been dropping hints he's going to run for president in 2024. It's been like an Easter egg hunt, but instead of Easter eggs, he's been leaving us a trail of hair gel slime, and the slick is getting thicker by the day. From the constant attacks on conservative red state governors like and especially Governor Ron DeSantis to his multiple national media appearances and even his little visit to the southern border, I mean, my God, we get it already, you're running for president, Gavin. He might as well hang his hairdryer in the White House bathroom at this point. I'm sure Joe wouldn't even notice. And now he's launched his Campaign for Democracy tour. Apparently, he also wants to get the hell out of California because he's traveling to red states to take on authoritarian leaders he says are directly attacking our freedoms. And by freedoms, he means he's fighting for genital mutilation for minors, drag queens for kiddos, and unfettered abortions. As for the other freedoms, well, not so much. There was a pretty startling split screen. You had a thousand kids oh, in yeah. Nashville out there protesting the lack of action on gun uh, reform measures. Mm -hmm. Well, you had Governor DeSantis signing a yeah. bill on permitless carry Sick. behind closed doors. Yeah, what did you make of that? Scared to death. Who is he scared of? Scared of the people. Scared the of the people public. in Florida? Yeah, that overwhelmingly oppose that position. But <laughs> I think the majority of NRA members, you know. Probably oppose that position. No background checks. No back. No background. None. Really. I mean, no tra no training. Why? Why would we do that with weapons of war? Which is what permitless carry means. Yeah, that's extreme in the extreme. The man is a tyrant, and he's run his own state into the ground. I know because I used to live there. Imagine what he'd do to this country. He's going to run, folks. They will shove Joe off to the side, I'd say by midsummer, and make it look like it was his idea. And then boom, boom, pow, Gavin will announce, and he will be their nominee. And guess what? If we don't play this really well, and I mean like really well, he will win. I know what you're thinking. California is such a mess. There's no way average Americans would vote for him. He's just too extreme. Wrong. The Democrat machine is so strong, and quite frankly, it's been birthed and raised in California, they could probably put up a paper cup and have a decent shot at winning the general election. Early voting, ballot harvesting, mega fundraising, all of it. The model started in California, and Gavin, he knows it well. So listen, I want to be real honest with you now, and it's going to piss some of you off, but so be it. Ron DeSantis is the only one who can beat Gavin Newsom. I love Trump. But when 50% of Americans believe this latest indictment witch hunt against him is serious, and with 50% already saying he should suspend his campaign, we aren't going to get enough independence to win this time. It ain't 2016. It's not even 2020. It's way worse. Popularity and electability are two very different animals, folks. The only person who has a chance is Ron DeSantis. He's got the most compelling case against Gavin Newsom. Look at how many people and businesses, big and small, fled California for Florida in the last three years alone. The stark differences in their handling of COVID and freedom and masks and vaccines and taxes and regulation and crime, all of it bodes very well for Ron DeSantis in view. Hell, even Gavin's own in-laws fled to Florida. So to all of those out there on the conservative side who think it's a good strategy to nosedive Ron DeSantis out of loyalty to Trump, you're not seeing the bigger picture. 
You can scream mega from the rooftops. Hell, you can tattoo it across your butt cheek for all I care. But all that gusto ain't going to do crap if we lose in 2024 again. I love Trump too, but this is just the place we're in. And if you put your emotions aside, I think you know I'm right. But hey, those are just my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the show on OutKick's YouTube. Make sure you like our channel and subscribe. From Nashville, God bless and take care.